0: joy it is to be here and be able to share with you. I want to thank Pastor Justin for giving up the pulpit for a week here and and entrusting your flock to me for just a couple minutes. Um, If we haven't met, uh, my name is Mike, and uh, like Isaac said, I'm I'm usually downstairs with the kids, and they've uh, called me up to the big leads from the minor leagues this morning, so really appreciate that. Hopefully, uh, yeah, well, we'll just leave it at that. Um, So if we haven't met, uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Chelsea and I have been attending Hickory Ridge here since uh, sometime in 2021. Uh, our two kids, Hallie and Noah, are three years old and six months, um, respectively, and we don't like sleep, so it kind of works out for us that you know those are the ages of our kids, but we have loved getting plugged in here. Um, this is a great church with great people and, and with great pastors, and we've really felt um, just a connection here, and we really feel like it's a it's a family. So um, if you haven't had a chance to get to know either one of us, please, by all means, come and introduce yourself um, to us. It's a lot harder from this side to all of you than for you guys to come up to me, so If you would do that, I would appreciate that and would just love to get to know you a a little bit better. So again, just so excited to be up here and um, to be able to share God's word with you. So um, if you would, if you have a Bible with you, whether it's on a device or a physical Bible, if you want to open up to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 right at the beginning there. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a story um, about an experience I had back in 2007 when I spent some time in a maximum security prison. Um, Now, before Pastor Justin kicks me off the stage, um, I wasn't in the prison because I did something wrong. I was just there visiting. In fact, the maximum security prison that I visited was Alcatraz um, out in San Francisco. And uh, it was just a really, um, I don't know what the best word would be, a memorable experience for me. Um, If you don't know anything about Alcatraz, it was a maximum security prison from 1850 to 1933. And um, it housed some of the baddest dudes to ever live and um, just uh, some crazy, crazy things when you're walking around there. Um, if, as you're walking around, you'll see like bullet holes in the walls where there were prisoner uprisings, and and there was you know actually shots fired. There there was the one cell where there's been a couple you know individuals who've escaped um, and been caught. There was one group of three who took spoons from the cafeteria and dug out every single day just space. And then one day they made a break for it, and they made this like fake head and put it in the bed to to uh, hide from the from the uh, from the guards, and they ended up getting out, and they never found them, but if you've been to San Francisco, if you've been on a boat in the bay, you know, it's very kind of tumultuous waters, and um, they never found these guys, and it's, you know, I guess that they actually perished while they tried to escape there, Um, but, you know, it was just very, very memorable experience in that, but the one memorable experience, probably the most memorable experience that I had um, was when I visited this this, uh, place called The Hole. It was the solitary confinement area in Alcatraz, and it was really kind of cool. Um, I'm an introvert. So I actually don't like talking to people. So when you walk in, they give you this like headset and a little pack and you walk around and it's, you know, as an introvert, it's the cat's meow to be able to walk around and do that. So I'm walking through and all of a sudden I'm in this place called the hole. And in my ear, they're saying, and this is solitary confinement. And this is where, you know, a a bunch of guys would end up and they'd be by themselves. And they started listing off some famous people who had been there. and, And I didn't really recognize any of the names. And like the last one that they mentioned was Al Capone. (목소리도) MBC 뉴스 박진주입니다. MBC 뉴스 박진주입니다. And I'm like, oh, cool! I know that name. I know he was a mobster back in the '30s. And and so they're like, in this particular cell, Al Capone spent a lot of time in. And so I said to myself, man, I really need to go in there and see what that was like. So I walk into the cell, and it's like a nine foot by seven foot, seven foot tall ceilings, all made of concrete. There's no furniture inside. There's just a little hole in the ground, which you can imagine what that is used for. And so I go inside, and it's just you can just feel it. There's just something there. If walls could talk. It would it would be insane, um, and there was a sign on the door. I think it's been a long time now, but I'm pretty sure there was a sign on the door that said you're not allowed to close the door. So naturally, I went and closed the door because I needed to experience things. And I tell you what, when I was standing in there in the in the and you could see a little bit of light. There's no like electricity or anything, but when you're standing in there, and and you just can feel sort of the hopelessness you you know if you tried to imagine what the other prisoners were feeling it it didn't take very much of a a stretch of the imagination you you could just feel it in inside of there it was just tangible there's hopelessness now why do i share that story with you well there's been many times in my life that I have sort of, in my mind, returned to that experience in the, what I would call the familiarity of hopelessness. And it's not the hopelessness that's created by like a physical prison, because I've never been there for real. Um, but instead, it's a hopelessness caused by the prison of circumstances that seemingly have no way out and no hope. And there's probably a chance that there's somebody in here this morning, or all of you, that have experienced that sort of prison of hopelessness as well. Maybe you've been with us in a situation that you can identify with. Maybe you have somebody that you've loved who got sick, and there was really kind of no cure. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe it was planned, not planned, but expected or unexpected. Maybe it was uh, hopelessness in your marriage, or maybe it was divorce. Maybe it was a trouble in your career. Maybe you lost your job or there was disappointment or just dissatisfaction. Maybe you've gone through financial issues, you know, debt or just insurmountable debt or or expenses that you just can't seem to get out of. Maybe you're a parent and you're trying to navigate, you know, troublesome kids or teenagers and it doesn't seem to be a, a lot of forward motion with that. Maybe you struggle with mental health issues or or something of of that nature. We could kind of go on and on here. We've all kind of experienced that before in our lives. And you know, being a follower of Jesus that, that should be a, an anchor for us. That should be a, a help to us. And let's be real, sometimes God really comes through, and he comes through in very miraculous ways. I, I do know a decent amount of you, and there are testimonies represented in this room where God has supernaturally intervened and, and done something just incredible in the situation. But what happens whenever we go through a situation and God doesn't seem to intervene, that he just lets the situation kind of exist or get worse? And maybe, maybe even further, he's silent when this is going on. What do you do when that happens? Because I know if you're anything like me, there's a temptation that sort of rises up. And it's on a spectrum. Maybe at the minimum you doubt, but on a maximum you kind of give up and walk away. So when you experience that, when we experience that, what do we, what do, we do? Well, one of the reasons I love the scriptures is because it's real. It meets us right where we are, and it meets us right in our in our in our biggest need. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter two. And there's a guy who wrote Ephesians chapter two, who spoke uh, who spoke about a prison situation that he found himself in. And undoubtedly, he was experiencing something emotional, something that he was uh, just feeling and 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 whatnot. And there were individuals who who cared about him, who had questions about why he was there in that prison. And what he wrote can be a help to us. It can bring us hope. And if we, can bring, if we can bring our minds to be wrapped around that, it can offer us something for our lives too. In that no matter what situation we find ourselves in or, or will find ourselves in, we can have hope. So hopefully by now you're in Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna read all, all verses one through 10. So please stick with me. And if, and if you're online, it's gonna be online. It's gonna be up here on the screens as well. So let's read this together. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heaven in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, if you've been around church Christianity for any length of time, this is probably one of the most famous passages in all of all of Scripture. And it's not a passage that's necessarily associated often with going through hard times or dealing with prison situations. But there is a lot beneath the surface, especially with the guy who wrote it. And again, this guy's name was Paul, and he had a crazy life story when it came to his Christian faith. He wasn't a Christian to start off. He was a Jewish man. He was a Pharisee, which means that he was, he was very much in tune with, with his works and wanting to please God with the things that he was doing, um, so much so that he thought that what he needed to do his mission and calling in life was to persecute Christians, which he saw as the enemy of God. And he did this on multiple occasions and was a part of, of many persecutions. And one day he was on a road, on his way to persecute more Christians, and, and Jesus appears to him, knocks him down. He has this radical encounter with the Lord, and his heart is forever changed. The same people that he, he begins, that he was persecuting, the same Jesus that he was persecuting, he becomes a follower of Jesus in that moment. And he becomes one of Christianity's most famous Christians and wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament, and he shares the gospel with many people. He went on many missionary journeys. He planted tons of of different churches, and he himself, just as he persecuted Christians, he became a persecuted Christian. He went through many near-death experiences. He went through many shipwrecks. And he went through imprisonment, physical imprisonment. So he went through a lot of things himself. And so when Paul writes this message, he's not sitting at Amity enjoying a nice cup of coffee. He's not on a cruise. He's not at the beach. He's not, you know, just having a good old time. He is sitting in prison awaiting his execution. And so Paul is, is literally writing this passage having lost everything that he has for the gospel. So from prison... Paul writes Ephesians 2. He writes it to the Ephesian church. And what he wants to do is he wants to say, hey, I planted this church, but I want to give you an update as to how I'm doing. Undoubtedly, these Ephesians, they had questions. They wanted to know what was going on. Paul had introduced Jesus to them. Paul was a man of faith. Now the Ephesians are thinking, well, okay, so he's going through these hard times. What about now? Has Paul lost hope? And if he hasn't lost hope, how can I make sure that we don't lose hope either? And so Paul's purpose is to point them towards hope. And he does that by highlighting two truths. And we're going to look at both of them today. The first one is that God has saved us. And the second one is that God has seated us. So let's break those down for a second. The first one, God has saved us. That's what Paul says. God has saved us. So what what Paul does is he points people to what we call the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is a story that says that prior to God's intervention, we were dead. In Ephesians 2, he uses verbiage like trespasses and sins, walking in the ways of the world, following another God, doing whatever we felt was right, under wrath. In another another chapter in the Bible, Paul writes it this way in the book of Romans, chapter 3. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To fall short in that passage literally means to miss the mark. A few years ago, I was working for a company, and um, you know, we would have some downtime from here and there. And I got really interested in darts for some reason. I don't know why, but I got interested in it. So I bought a dartboard off of Amazon, put it up, and all the guys in the shop like playing darts. So you know, on our downtime or on our lunch break, I'd invite them in, and and we would play darts. And and I got pretty good at at hitting the mark. And the idea of darts, the the the, the goal of darts is to actually hit certain marks, so you get your score down to zero. And, and I was decent, and I played with some guys or whatnot, What the scriptures teach us is that when it comes to God's glorious standard, when we sin, when we trespass against God, we miss the mark. And so if we're trying to hit that board and and hit certain marks on it, it would be the equivalent of us just missing the board left and right. We don't even, it's, it's not even a question of winning the game or even competing in the game. We're so bad that we actually miss the board left and right and left and right. We are dead is what the scriptures teach us. We're hopeless. But God recognized us in our hopeless state. And in his mercy, he has great love for us. He took us from death to life. How? Paul says, by making us alive with Christ. See, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on behalf of humanity for you and for me. Again, in Romans, Paul says, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Through sin, we were dead and hopeless, but through God's grace in Christ, we are made alive. This is what Paul says is the gospel. And he says, look, guys, this is where hope is found. That's the first piece. The second truth is that Paul says that God has seated us. Verse 6 in Ephesians 2 says, He also raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So there's a lot of different teachings out there as to what being seated in Christ actually means. I tend to just look at verse 7 that says, "...so that he might display or put on display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus." See, to be seated is to have been saved and then put in a position to display God's grace and kindness working in you. A few years ago, uh, back when I was working as a, as a youth pastor, I lived in Berlin, and I work in Berlin sometimes still, but there's a coffee shop that I would frequent, and... Um, uh, it, it's a really cool kind of coffee shop that they actually adorn the walls with local art and photography and all that. And you see that picture, it's just one brick wall. It's really, really cool. But what'll happen is these artists and these photographers will drop off pieces of art and they'll hang it on the wall. And in the corner, there'll be a little a little uh, business card that says who painted it or who took the picture and how much it would be to, to, to buy that piece of art. And it just really kind of sets the scene for a, a good coffee shop sort of environment. And one of the things that I love when I'm in there is I'm just kind of, I don't know, drawn to how awesome this art is and how beautiful the photography is. And it just, it, it causes me to just say, you know, wow, look at the talent of these people. It's way better than anything I could draw. It's way better than any picture I could ever take. It, it puts on exhibit the skill set of the artists. It puts on exhibit the skill set of the painters, And here's what Paul is saying in this scripture. He's saying that this is what God does in the lives of his people. He puts them on display like a work of art saying, hey, do you want to see my glory? Look at this person. Look at what they're going through, but look what I'm still doing. You want to see my craftsmanship? Look here at this person. I'm doing something great in their lives. Want to see my grace and kindness? Look over here at this person. I am moving in them and through them. I have saved these people to create something beautiful in them. I've seated them with Christ. Now, at the end of Ephesians 2, there's sort of a summary verse starting in, in verse 8, and it says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So Paul tells the Ephesians, This truth and these truths that are offered from, from God come through grace, through faith. Which means this, it's not our doing, we have no right to boast, but it's all God's doing. And he can boast all that he wants, because he's doing all of the work. And see, the Bible tells us that it's God's workmanship. That's the word that it uses. Other translations will translate it as masterpiece. We were created for the purpose of good works through Jesus, saved for a purpose to accomplish something for him. That's what it means to be his workmanship. Now, remember why Paul was writing this. He's writing to the church that he started in the city of Ephesus. He wants to update them on what's going on about his prison experience. And I want you to imagine all the things that he could have written. Well, you know, I'm really sad and discouraged. I'm going to lose my life in a couple days, but praise God, it's going to be okay. I'm really disappointed. I'm doubting God. You go on and on and on. Paul could have written that. Put yourself in that situation. Think about what you may have written if you were in that kind of hopelessness. But I want to point you to the fact that Paul does not not write that. He doesn't write doom and gloom. Instead, he simply highlights God's faithfulness to his people to save them from their greatest prison and to seat them with Christ. See, Paul was in a literal prison experiencing hopelessness, but he knew that God was faithful And he could have hope that he was saved and seated with Christ. And he wanted the Ephesians to feel what he was feeling, that too. And so here's kind of the big idea. This is where we want to park for the rest of our time together. And it's for Paul and for the Ephesians and for us that no matter the situation, no matter the season or the prison that we find ourselves in, God has saved us and seated us to be an exhibit of his grace and love. I'll say it again. God has saved us and seated us to be an exhibit of his grace and his love. So what about us? What does this mean for us? Well, let's just consider a few things. The first thing would be that God's faithfulness in our greatest prison has specific implications in our present ones. God's faithfulness in our greatest prison has specific implications for our present ones. See, our greatest prison that we could ever experience in our life was sin and death. And God has already made a way for us to be free. What Jesus has done on the cross on our behalf to all who will receive it by faith can experience freedom. And in order to accomplish that, God had to give everything that he had, his own son, Jesus Christ. And if God was willing to do that for our greatest prison, what does that mean for the lesser ones? Well, I love what Paul says in Romans eight, and he kind of sums up the thought here. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, here's the truth. God is invested in us. He has given everything that he has in order to meet our greatest need and to free us from our greatest prison. He was faithful in our greatest prison. And if he was faithful then, then he will be faithful now. See, prison situations, they cause us to have a temptation to sort of doubt. When God doesn't open the door or or make a way, and, and when God seems silent, which they seem to go hand in hand a lot. But does this mean when this happens, when God doesn't come through in that way, does that mean that God's grace is exhausted Sometimes our temptation is to think that way, but by no means is his grace ever exhausted. He has given us his very son. He is not going to give up on us now, whether we realize it or not. See, God's actions in the past, they prove his commitment to us right now in the present and in the future. Another consideration we should make is that God doesn't always rescue us from our prisons, but he does always redeem them. What do I mean? Well, I wish I could tell you that in the end, everything is just going to work out, that he's going to make it work out in the end, and it's going to be even, Stephen. And reality is on the other side of heaven, that that is the truth. That is our our great hope. But on, on this side of heaven, there's no promise in the scripture that everything is just going to work out. In fact, kind of the opposite. Jesus talked about this in John 16. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. We read that scripture, and a lot of times we like the book ended side, but we kind of skim over the middle part. But Jesus warned us. He told us, you will have suffering. You will have trials. You will have tribulation. Look back to what Paul wrote to us in the book of Ephesians. He's doing it from a prison cell, and days later, he's literally going to be beheaded and lose his life. And he knew that that was coming. See, here's the reality for us. Sometimes God shows up into the situation and just miraculously turns it into something good. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't. But the gospel is still good news. Why? Because even though there's no promise that the situation will improve, there is a promise of redemption in us and through us. In spite of our situations, in spite of the prison, that's what God is doing. See, God is actively working on us to mold us into something that overwhelmingly displays his glory and his goodness. This is what it means to be seated with Christ. God is saying they may be facing a prison situation, but I can still create something beautiful in it. I am still redeeming the hopelessness. I am still orchestrating a masterpiece. Anybody here ever seen a masterpiece in person? I'm thinking like maybe the Mona Lisa or Sistine Chapel or Statue of David or, or something like that. I've, I'm not cool enough to have seen those kind of things, um, but there is one I'll consider it a masterpiece that I, I feel like I've seen. The Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C. is probably one of my favorite rooms that I've ever visited in, in my life. Just the the architecture of the room and the the feel of the room, the the painting on the ceiling. There's just something about it that just I don't know, kind of kind of sparked something. And, you know, I would go there as a kid and do, you know, field trips and whatnot. But a few years ago, I, I had the privilege of, of actually getting a private tour of the Dome. And we got to go up on top of the Dome and see all of D.C. from the top of the Capitol Dome. And on the way up there, and it's probably hard to see in this picture, and I don't know if you know this, there's actually three balconies that go up. And the first one's probably, I don't know, maybe 50 feet off the ground, and then the next one is maybe, I don't know, 125 feet. And at the very top, at 180 feet, you're standing there looking down at the floor with a with a railing that's about that big, so you kind of have to stand back so you don't get the heebie-jeebies inside of you. But you're right there next to this giant painting that's on the ceiling that's called the Apotheosis of Washington. It was a painting that was painted back during the Civil War in 1865, um, and it was painted over the course of of 10 years and obviously it's suspended 180 feet above the rotunda floor. It's just an absolutely beautiful thing. And I remember going up there and, you know, seeing something that most people only get to see from 180 feet away. I got to see it from 15 feet away. And you could see every paintbrush stroke. You could see every detail and nuance of of the painting. It it was absolutely beautiful and and breathtaking. And there was just something about being up there and seeing it that that caused me to have this adoration and awe for the the people who built the room and for the the person who, who painted this painting. It was, just, it was just an amazing experience. And my response, my reaction to that, I still remember to, the day, to this day, is, yeah, I was amazed and I was in awe, but there was an acknowledgement and an appreciation towards the people that built that room and the artist that painted that painting. See, here's the point. God is the master artist, but sometimes we miss it. We mistake the, the, the masterpiece for how the situation turns out. But don't get me wrong. God desires to work on our situations, but sometimes they don't work out. And if, if the situation doesn't work out, and that's our point of reference, then we're going to be disappointed in the artist. But if our situations are, are or if our mindset is focused on something deeper than that, we'll actually see it. See, God doesn't just work our situations into masterpieces. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't. But the work he does in us will always create a masterpiece. That's the promise the promise. Sometimes he doesn't work out the situation necessarily for good, but what he's doing in us and how we respond to it and how we move forward from it will result in good, in God's grace and his goodness and his craftsmanship. He is molding and shaping us to be more connected to him. He is molding and shaping us to be more dependent on him and more aware of him and more willing to serve him and more in love with him and more conformed to the image of his son. It's the exhibit of an incredible artist on display for all to see so that other people can acknowledge and appreciate and love him by what he's doing in you and through you. So, what what do we actually do with this? Like, what are some practical things that we can do with this if we find ourselves in a prison situation today or the future? We will at some point, but if it's today, what do we do? Let me give you three quick kind of ideas here. The first thing is, commit yourself to this truth. I am seated with Christ. In the midst of our pain and our situation, it's easy to focus on the the walls of the prison all around us. You're in that Alcatraz kind of, environment with the concrete walls and the walls feel like they're closing in and you're all alone it's easy to focus on that but here's the thing the greater reality is we are actually seated with Christ and the two aren't mutually exclusive they can exist at the same time you can be in a prison but on the other side you can say I might be seated in a prison but in reality I'm seated with Christ because God is doing something in me and through me in fact, a lot of times we think that God can't work in those, but oftentimes they're working together. That's where the masterpiece is made. And I want to be really clear about something here. I'm not trying to make light of our situations. I'm not trying to create some kind of silver lining or anything like that. Our situations that we deal with are super, super difficult, and they cause us pain in certain reactions. But these difficulties, they just tend to cause us to think that God has stopped working. But here's reality. He never, ever stops working. He is always working. He is always moving. He never stops cultivating beauty in broken places. So when life gets difficult, let the the truth permeate your entire beating, your entire being. Write it on the doorpost of your heart and look to it often. Say it out loud that I am seated with Christ. When you find yourself in that prison situation, say it out loud, I am seated with Christ. And watch God bring to remembrance what he's doing in you and through you. And when you're seated in that prison, you remind yourself where you're really seated. Because what is happening to you pales in comparison to what is happening in you and through you. The second thing we can do is to trust God and to hold on to hope. See, God has already saved us from our greatest prison. And I promise you that he has not abandoned us in our present need. In fact, he's closer than we realize. He may not work out the situation for what we would deem to be good, but he will work you out for good. And he never stops. Romans 8 says this, We know that all things work together for the who, the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. See, the situation may not look like a masterpiece, but what he's doing in you and through you, it will be. And if it's not good yet, keep holding on because God will be faithful to you. He has been and he will be, and he is not done yet. Paul writes in Philippians 1, he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Remember what God has done for you in Christ. He will finish the work. And the third thing we can do, look for the purpose God has for you in your prison. See, God has saved us and seated us to accomplish a purpose, He has a a reason for our lives and a a purpose that's existed for long before we were around. And sometimes when we're in our prison, it can spur certain reactions. And those, I'll call them reactions, will make us think that we're disqualified from the plan. I want to give you just a little truth nugget this morning. God can handle your responses to him. He can handle your emotions. He can handle your pain. He can handle your doubts. And you can be honest with God. It'll take you back to Jesus on the cross. If you haven't spent any time in church, you probably recognize this. He's hanging on the cross and he cries out to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know that that's a biblical prayer, right? It's Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus was literally praying the Bible. A book written by God. Why would he put that in there if he didn't want us to be honest with him? See, god kind of tends to lend his ear to those kind of prayers but for whatever reason we feel ashamed or like we, we shouldn't pray no god wants to hear from us in all the emotion and all the reaction to our situation and, and here's something for you and i hope it encourages you even if you react poorly remember your works didn't make you right with god in the first place grace did And so your works don't provide you an ongoing seat at the table with Christ. Grace does. And he's working in you and through you, and he wants to. In the middle of your prison, God still has work for you to do, even if you've walked away. If anything, the prison is intended to fuel you to serve him more faithfully. This is what God's desire was for Paul. And Paul said, yes, and this is God's desire for us also. See, the masterpiece God is creating involves his purpose for us. Back to Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. It's not too late. Get honest with God and embrace the purpose he has for your life. God has saved us and he has seated us to be an exhibit of his grace and his love. You know, in my life, I have experienced a few prisons, and my most recent prison that I can remember um, actually experiencing and it having a big impact was back in 2019, And it kind of, you know, lasted over the course of a few years, but it started out that, you know, my wife and I, we served as youth pastors for 10 years at a a church with people that we loved. And I went through a season of burnout whenever I was there and it was affecting me physically. And I had to make a really hard decision and and had to eventually make the decision to to step away um, from that and step away from something that I love to do, but also stepped away from people that I I love to serve. It, It was a really hard time. And... I ended up going through a major career change and I stepped out of ministry and, you know, the time went on a little bit and, you know, end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020 and there was a big cataclysmic world event, which you're, you know, unless you live under a rock, you know what that is, it was COVID and everything kind of shut down. And as a result of that, um, I found myself being laid off from my job with a lot of other people and there's just a lot of uncertainty and not sure what was, what was going to happen. And, you know, we kind of navigated that thing and I'm not saying that, you know, it was, you know, when it rained, it poured, but, you know, we had some good things too. Our daughter was born. We were learning how to be parents for the first time. And, you know, we had prayed for a long time for our daughter to come along. And so that was a blessing. But amidst that kind of prison situation, it kind of all came to a head at the end of 2020 when our family lost my father-in-law in a tragic and unexpected accident. And it completely just I messed up a lot of things, and, and, you know, I was dealing with my own emotions of that loss, but also trying to be there for my family as well. It was just, it was a very, very difficult, difficult time. And it felt like a prison, and that prison spurred a lot of different emotions in me. Anger, doubt, confusion, hopelessness, but the one primary one was unbelief. And in 2021, at some point, I don't remember the date, I would say that I had kind of given up on my faith. And that doesn't mean that I didn't necessarily believe in God anymore. I just kind of was done trying. I was done trying to serve him or step out or whatnot. I just kind of was going to exist in my faith. And at that time, I couldn't imagine being back in church, even though we did end up coming here. At that time, I never imagined serving in the kids' ministry or doing any kind of ministry again. And if you had told me in 2023 I'd be standing up preaching, I would have literally laughed in your face. I know that would have been rude, but I would have done that. It just seemed so far-fetched from where I was. I can't tell you when, but at some point, something changed. And I remember getting honest with God, and I turned to him and said, here I am. I'm a disaster, and by the way, I'm not really happy with you. And God's response to me was very kind, very gracious, and it was very, very patient. He reminded me that he never promised me comfortable. He reminded me that he never promised me a pain-free life, and I was like, okay. But then he did remind me what he did promise me of, to show me his faithfulness and his goodness. To conform me to the image of his son. To put his works of grace on display in me and through me. And again, I don't remember the dates, but at some point something changed. And I want to be clear about something. Me telling you this story isn't to be like, well, look how awesome I am. I got it together. Because in reality, I didn't do anything. God was doing all of the work. He just opened my eyes to what he had been doing the whole time. And see, I don't even remember asking him to do that. I don't remember praying a prayer, God, would you open my eyes to to what you're doing? He just did it in his grace. But when I ask you, I wanna ask you this morning, if you find yourself in a prison today, what would happen if you did ask him to open your eyes and say, God, what are you doing in my situation? And what are you doing in me in my situation? See, I think today could be a transformational day. And I know if God was faithful to me, he can be faithful to you too. So, where are you this morning? If you find yourself in a prison, remember God has saved you. God has seated you with Christ. And he's working in you to display the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. God is not done with you yet. And your heart may feel like a grave, but God wants to turn it into a garden if you'll let him, and even if you won't. Will you turn to him today? So perhaps this morning you're in here and and you're kind of new to this Jesus stuff and church and all that. I just want to remind you that in his great love for you, God has given you his only son so that you can experience a relationship with him and be saved from your sin. But you can't do it alone. You're only saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast except for God. And you can begin a journey with him today by admitting your sin and your need for him, by putting your faith in him and what he did for you on the cross and calling out to him. That's the starting point in a journey that will start now and go on forever. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you in a little bit here to to come up front. There's going to be some pastors and prayer partners up here. All you need to do is come up and ask them for prayer, and they'll help you. They'll direct you in the right way, and they'll put some resources in your hand. But perhaps you are a follower of Christ today. And you're experiencing a prison. I would encourage you to consider God's word today and what he's speaking to you. I would encourage you to call out to God in prayer and ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him, what are you doing in my situation and what are you doing in me Ask him for help to trust him because it's hard to do in those situations and ask him for help to experience hope again. Ask him for a glimpse of the masterpiece, not that he necessarily is working the situation into, but what he's working you into. And so I'm gonna invite you this morning to stand with me and we turn our faces towards heaven and, and pray together. Father, this morning, I'm so thankful that we've been saved seated with christ jesus god we recognize this morning that it's not through a work that we've done but only what you've accomplished through the cross of christ and that in you through grace through faith we can have salvation in our greatest prison god i pray for anybody in here who's hearing that for the first time this morning that you would stir in their hearts that they would move forward and put their trust in you And, God, for those who are already following you but are experiencing some doubt and anger and all the emotions that come with the prison, Lord, I pray that you'd stop them in their tracks right now and encourage them to reach out to you. God, that you want to move in their hearts and in their lives and that you want to remind them and give them a glimpse of the masterpiece that you are orchestrating amidst their prison. Because, God, you are able to deliver us. You're able to split the sea but sometimes you don't, and if you choose not to, Father, I pray that for each person represented here this morning, that they would still reach out to you, not lose hope, but instead walk out of here encouraged, having just that little glimpse of what you're doing in them. God, I pray for transformation today. I pray that you would move in our midst the next few minutes as we worship you, and we pray it all together in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.